Welcome back, everybody. It's Wednesday, and Dominic's Lee. We're here midway through the week, here for another episode that's just a bit extra special. How are you doing so far this week? It's hump day, so I'm doing fantastic, obviously. Of course. Uh, And this was fun because we're doing another classic pay-per-view review, this time UFC 199. Went back, watched it together, like a little watch party kind of Mm -hmm. deal. That was fun. Didn't get to do that for UFC 1, so now we're kind of just starting a tradition, it seems. And uh, this is a lot of fun. I can't wait to go into this with you. And I know it's special, a little extra special to you. True, true. Um, First, I just want to say before before I kind of talk about the impact of UFC 199... I'm getting excited. We're getting very close mm. to Friday mm. where we preview UFC 258. Um, just It's just a fight for... It's a fight that feels like it's for us, us hardcore fans, mm. you know? Not a fight with a ton of star power or however you want to word it, but a lot of future stars, yeah. a lot of people on the rise, people that go under the radar, and a title fight that's so intriguing. Very, so I'm very, very awesome. Very title. excited to break that down and also watch that with you this Saturday. But yeah, UFC 199. So, you know, I've kind of touched on this in our in our pilot episode, kind of my, my story with UFC. And, you know, many people might be surprised, you know, because I, I, I feel pretty good about my knowledge of the sport. At You're this very point. knowledgeable. However... I'm I'm in comparison to many viewers of the sport, especially people who watch it as much as I do. I'm a fairly newer viewer, and I kind of hate that. But at the same time, like I'm proud of the work I put in the over progress these years. You've yeah. Made, yeah. But yeah, June fourth, twenty sixteen was the very first time I watched a UFC event live, and a lot of that just goes back to the fact that growing up, I did have some what would you call it, kind of fleeting interest in the sport at times. You know, I mentioned in the pilot episode how Brock Lesnar, when he became heavyweight mm-hmm. champion, kind of first sparked my interest because I grew up a big WWE mm-hmm. fan. So I would look up, you know, his fights with Frank Mir and um, uh, who was what was uh, one of his... Oh, there's so many. That's the top of my head. Heath Herring was Heath a really Herring good one is the one I was thinking. Where he railed yeah, him and charged across the. I don't know why. Off. Shout out to Heath Herring. He deserved more than me for getting your name right there. But um, yeah, like I would just watch those clips on YouTube because back then YouTube was kind of the wild west. You know, you didn't have all these strict copyright laws that you yeah. got today, so you kind of find some of that stuff on there. Um, but I, I, the reason why I never really. Watched it was because you have to recognize I'm only 23 now. So back then I was... A wee lad. 11, 12. Uh, I didn't have a credit card. I was not able to order these pay-per-views. And my parents, at this point in their lives, you know, they, they were very interested in it back in the 90s, funny enough. But they weren't watching UFC mm. every month. You know, I know your dad was very into it, so that kind of helped you get, get at least... A leg up from the yeah. start. You know, you were watching some of the Chuck and Tito days. Yeah, why he would have poker parties in the basement. Yeah, so in that in that way, like, I just never was able to really catch on to the sport. You know, WWE was a lot easier because you could watch it every week or mm-hmm. watching Raw, SmackDown. It was free. It was free. And then watching other sports like football, baseball, basketball, much easier because you could watch one. What was free to me, mm-hmm. <laughs> watch it on cable. So, yeah, it took a while, but... You invited me 
to your basement for a little watch party. We had a few friends over to watch UFC 199. And... It was a great event, and I, I just I immediately just fell in love with it, and a lot of that is a credit to who I was watching it with. We were all, like, kind of, you know, you were the only one who was really, like, passionate about it. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone else was just kind of excited to watch people beat the shit out of each yeah. other. But that made it so much fun because we were all just there, like, just kind of feeding off each other's energy, just getting into it. You know, I didn't know who most of the fighters on this mm-hmm. card were. I was just like, somebody... Somebody hit somebody. Yeah, yeah. And little did we know that same group would go on to UFC 203. Was that who, was it Nick and Tommy? That I were believe there? so. There may have been a couple others, but yeah. I know for sure those two. So. Yeah, so, you know, shout out to you for inviting me over. That was, we had just graduated high school. Fresh out, yeah. Yeah, and then two months after this, we would move in to our freshman dorms at college. And uh, that was, you know, so it was nice seeing you know, my, my future roommate. Mm-hmm. Invite me over like that, Maybe but you purchased fight pass then. We went I to did, Cleveland no, for two literally, or three. I yeah, mean, literally, it was a snowball. Literally and started it. I think we when we moved in, we would go and watch UFC 202, which was headlined yeah. by Conor McGregor, Nate Diaz two, and we watched that at beat ups. First ever card we watched at beat ups, which. Yep. That kind of became a tradition for us pre-COVID. Fight nights in the lounge area. Fight nights in the lounge. We did that a few times. And I remember you telling me about Fight Pass. $10 a month. You can watch literally any event in the history of the mm-hmm. UFC. I was like, Same I bought idea. a year. Yeah. I think it was $60 for the year. <laughs> bought it. Um, over the course of that year, I basically dedicated much of my... Instead of watching like TV shows every mm-hmm. week, like a show I remember being super into going into college was the walking dead yeah me my dad and my sister would watch it every week together we went to conventions mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean nerdy as fuck and then we move into college and i remember we we kind of me and you would kind of watch like the first couple episodes but after that i was like i need i have no time for mm-hmm. tv yeah i'm watching ufc fight pass or die i'm watching i don't know oh what event am i watching today oh randy couture <laughs> Uh, becoming the heavyweight champ at 44 years old. Yeah. That's the shit I was doing. It's my casual Tuesday night. Yep. So, I'm proud. And, and, to, and now at this point, I can officially say I've seen every single pay-per-view main card up until present day. And I'm working on getting there with the fight nights. So and now you can share all of this quickly garnered knowledge with people that you were in their same shoes just four yeah. years ago. So, I understand because MMA is a pretty... Fickle fan base. Love them. We love MMA Twitter. You know, they're very funny. Um, we're still trying to kind of get more involved with the mm-hmm. community. But I love the community, but it can be a fickle fan base. And they're very protective over their sport from outsiders. Mm-hmm. You see it a lot with uh, the media. Stephen A. Smith and guys like Skip Bayless who have these takes. You know, I remember Skip Bayless talking about leading up to the rematch with McGregor Diaz. He said that... Diaz likely outweighed McGregor by 30 pounds and that he was a sumo-style wrestler. Mm, coming in? <laughs> that just shows that even though we're on ESPN and ABC and all this so stuff. So very new. Yep. And I understand why they're very protective from these outsiders. And I think that a lot of people would probably look at me. You know, some of these people that have been watching for 20 years. And they'd probably kind of scoff at me. Like, what can you tell me that I don't know? You've only been watching for like five. I get it. But for those people who are maybe intimidated by that, by trying to get more involved with the sport, 
because they're like, oh, people, everybody just seems to be so, like, against me even trying to get into it. I get it, people, and stick to it because it's a beautiful sport. Mm-hmm. There are so many amazing fights for you to watch. I ain't saying you got to do what I do, have an Excel sheet with all these different analytics of all the fights I've watched. A podcast. Yeah, I ain't saying you got to do all that, but I'm just saying keep going. Yeah. You know, but that's enough kind of I love the backstory there. Sometimes you got to... I mean, we call it extra special. You got to paint the picture sometimes. This is true. But we're talking about UFC 199. This event happened June 4th, 2016. At the Forum in Inglewood, California, 15,587 people in attendance, approximately 300,000 buy rate. Not a super high selling mm-hmm. pay-per-view, mm-hmm. but one of the reasons for that probably is because 17 days before this card happened, our original main event fell out. Yeah. Originally, it was supposed to be Luke Rockhold in his first title defense against the previous champion who he had taken the belt from, Chris Weidman. Weidman was a big star at this time. He was. I mean, Weidman was the guy who had beat Anderson Silva technically. He was undefeated until yeah, that he Luke beat, Rockhold He fight. beat Silva twice, and then he went on to beat Machida mm-hmm. and Belfort. He was looked at as like a dominant champion. Mm-hmm. The all-American yep. guy. Yeah. And then, you know, he had that big costly mistake at UFC 194. Against Rockhold, he threw that uh, what spinning was spinning wheel, wheel kick, kick. Yeah. and you know Weidman being this very grapple heavy wrestler, and even when he did do offense on the feet, it was usually with his hands. Mm-hmm. He never saw a ton of kicks from yeah. Weidman. It shocked a lot of people. And then that immediately gave up his back for the takedown, and then the ground and pound was brutal for the next couple of rounds. It was rough go of things mm-hmm. for Weidman after that. So they set up a rematch. Well, Weidman can't make it. So who steps in? Michael. Bisping, a man who Rockhold had already beaten. Yeah, I think a lot of people might not realize that today, especially once we get into what happened. But Rockhold had already beaten Bisping, so I think by Bisping, finish as well. Yep, second round guillotine. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people maybe had a waning interest in this because your co-main event was also for a title, it was for the bantamweight title. Dominic Cruz, another dominant champion, yep. probably still to this day. The best, best, UFC, best UFC bandweight of yeah. all time. And he was in his finishing his trilogy with Uriah Faber. I don't know if there was a... I don't remember there, you know, even after I kind of got more into it, I don't remember this rivalry really having a ton of interest. It wasn't like some of the other trilogies. I think most people thought that Cruz was just Dominic too was just good. so good. Yeah. Even though Uriah had won their first encounter, but that was Cruz being so young mm-hmm. and... Uriah was still getting older at this time, too. So, so. I, I think even though you have a two-title fight card here, I just don't think that there was a ton of interest going in mm-hmm. from the more casual viewers that really do inflate those pay-per-view buy numbers. And this was in the middle of heavy Conor McGregor days, yep. too. So, yep. so you were help. seeing these million-plus <laughs> yeah. uh, million buys for the UFC, which were unprecedented. Yeah. So here you get a more quaint 300,000, but nothing to scoff at. Yeah. Still a decent number. Commentary team, the classic combo, mm-hmm. Joe Rogan and Mike Goldberg. I mean, that's that's classic UFC. Let me pose one question real quick about commentary. Okay. Two people or three people, what do you prefer? Because that's about all we see these days. So what's funny is I love the three-person setup now. I do. I really do. Even when it's... Even when you throw Rogan in there, like you have Rogan, DC, and Anik. Anik. 
Um, really, they have such a great group right they now. They do, yeah. That I think that the three-person it works team works. Yeah. However, I couldn't imagine adding a third person to this duo. To Goldberg and Rogan. Yeah, it's a just, good way to put it. And I know Goldberg is kind of a controversial, I guess, figure at this point. You know, he, he's iconic due to... Like, I mean, he had been with the UFC forever. It was just the way him and Rogan paired together. Yeah, and I just thought him and Rogan were an amazing team. And I, I stand by Mike Goldberg as a commentator. I thought he was fantastic for the years he worked for the UFC. Now with Bellator. Could he be a little um, uh, catchphrasy? You know, kind of repeat himself at times? Sure, but I I really never minded, like, you know, it's all over. Yeah, it's not like. Yeah. Some people got like annoyed by that. I I thought it was fine. No, everybody's got their niche. I'm, if I'm in the heat of the moment, I'm not really. I don't care what he says. <laughs> yeah, like as long as he's excited, I'm excited too, and that's fine. But I think kind of his, t- you know, he he would. Uh, we'll talk about this at the end, but he, you know, he went on to do Bellator. It's what he's doing now. I would say it's probably gotten a little worse. Hmm. Maybe is it? Maybe it's just his motivation isn't as high anymore. Um, and we'll touch on that at the end, but. Yeah, so classic commentary team. Also want to touch on the fact that uh, they announced on this night, during the main card, that UFC 8 and Ultimate Ultimate 96 tournament winner, Don Fry, would be inducted into the Hall of Fame at International Fight Week, which would happen next month, yeah. UFC 200. Don Fry, out of the got you know, going back and watching those really early cards, Don Fry was my favorite guy to watch. I love Don Fry. That's who uh, The Rock is making a movie on. If no. I'm not mistaken, right? Mm-mm. Is that a different You're guy? thinking of uh, this Mark Kerr. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Smashing yep. Machine. Yep, that's true. Uh, I can see why you yeah. would say that. But no, Don Fry, you know, the mustache, just just a dude that just, you looked like you didn't want to fuck with. <laughs> and maybe you could say that about a lot that's of guys. That's all they look then. But, and I know that doesn't help, but Don Fry just had this presence about him, man. And yeah, he, he was kind of the bridge between those guys like Hoist Gracie and Ken Shamrock to a guy like Mark Coleman mm. who kind of established a style reigning supreme in a more traditional sense. I know jiu-jitsu reigned supreme in the early events, but I mean like a lot of those were like street fights mm. looking, you know, they weren't very well This is when it started to get a little more Yeah, there's more technique normal, and yeah. then you would get to Mark Coleman and then that's really where the technique picked up and stuff. Um, so, yeah, I have a lot of respect for Don Fry. He even had a short run in the uh, WWE, fun fact, when it was mm. WWF back in the late 90s. So, um, yeah, he would be announced here. Before we kind of get into our main card, which was what we went back and watched, we're going to do a little thing called Prelim Notables. Yeah, yeah, Prelim Notables. So, we actually, our whole card opened with the fight of the night. So, prelim, we our, our early prelims were on UFC Pipe, Fight Pass. The regular prelims were on Fox Sports 1. All the Fox days. And then, obviously, main card on pay-per-view. Um, our very first fight, though, on Fight Pass was fight of the night. Marco Polo Reyes got a knockout of Dong Hyun Kim. A minute 52 seconds of the third round. Some other notables. If you go to the, regu- the regular prelims, were stacked with notable names here. I mean, Alex Caceres got, like a unan- fight night. Yeah, he got a unanimous decision win over Cole Miller. Jessica Andrade. The future women's strawweight champion here soon, probably gonna challenge for the women's After flyweight this bout, title. We got to see her in Cleveland. Yep, she TKO'd Jessica Penne, two minutes fifty six seconds of the second round. 
Then, a guy we just talked about, Benil Dariush, mm. in a fight that maybe we we never really talked about, but it's interesting, right? Because we talked about both we these just, guys. Exactly, yeah. Uh, he knocked out James Vick, James Vick's first knockout loss. And what's funny is this was not the James Vick who would Mm-mm. who got knocked out four James straight Vick times. James Vick went on a tear after this. After this. And Dariush knocked him out four minutes, 16 seconds of the very first round. Our prelim headliner. Brian Ortega, T-City. Who the fuck is that guy? Knocking out Clay Guida with a knee with 20 seconds left in the fight. Awesome stuff right there. Oh, yeah. right? Long hair Ortega, by the way. Yep, dude. long hair Ortega. So, those are your prelim notables. Anything you wanted to touch on before we get into the main card? Just one more thing about the hair. Ortega versus Guida? Holy moly. That's a hair fight. Oh, my goodness. That's all I have. <laughs> Shout out to those guys for not pulling on it, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So, our main card here opens up with a fight that another couple guys that we've talked about here. This was funny turning this on because I totally forgot about this. Yeah, so we had a lightweight fight between Dustin Poirier and Bobby King Green. Wow. Now, to kind of talk about where these guys were at this point in their career, Dustin Poirier was at a very interesting point. You know, he had lost his last fight at flyweight to Conor McGregor, the fight that we talked about so much in the lead-up to their rematch. That had happened about two years before this fight we're talking about now with Bobby Green. After the Conor McGregor loss, he would move up to lightweight and knock off three straight wins, Mm -hmm. knocking out Diego Fajera, TKOing Yancey Medeiros, and again, unanimous decision win over Joe Duffy, a guy who had beat Conor McGregor before. So that's kind of where he is at this point. He was ranked, I believe it, what I say earlier? He was but, fifth. No, 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 no. Right? It was like 11th. Oh, yeah. He was double digits. Yep. So he was ranked 11th at the time. So still kind of a guy, much in the same mold of a guy like you, a guy you love, like Sadiq Yusuf mm-hmm. or, you know, Arnold Allen. These guys that are right at the cusp of reaching a contender status. But still young. Still young. Still really working their way up. But still looked at as prospect, really. Mm-hmm. And, on the other end, you get Bobby Green, who had a bit of an interesting... He was also at an interesting point here because prior... His last fight before this was against Edson Barboza, a fight he would lose via unanimous decision. But before that, he had had eight straight wins. Four of those in the UFC, four of those in Strike Force. So Bobby Green was ranked 13th, but I think... Probably a lot of people going into this fight were probably siding with Bobby. I mean, that resume speaks for itself. His UFC wins were over Jacob Wolfman, James Krause, Pat Healy, and Josh Thompson. Mm -hmm. And then you lose to Edson Barboza. I mean, I I could totally see someone siding with Bobby Green here. Now, I'm going to let you kind of talk about the action of the fight. I know it was pretty quick, but if you just want to kind of go... Yeah, it was just the, the boxing of Dustin as we've seen the evolution, and this was still... Early on, especially in that the lightweight days, but the crisp boxing still getting hit. Bobby Green was landing shots, but the crisp shots of Dustin were uh, no match, and he just kept landing the shots and eventually put Bobby Green away. Dropped him once prior earlier in the first round, and then what was the final time in the first round where he got that finish? It was near the end. Of two him. minutes fifty three seconds. Two fifty three actually. Okay, so he dropped him once before that. So it was all Dustin. And the on first the drop was probably like just over a minute in. Yeah, too. And, and it was funny because it had, right before the drop, 
and the knockout. Bobby Green was kind of talking that shit. He was definitely looking a little telling Dustin to bring it, a little then, overconfident. And then Dustin brought it and put him down. Yeah, I mean it was a very quick fight. Dustin making pretty easy work here. You know, Bobby just really never was able to get started. I mean that was kind of the story here is Dustin was pretty aggressive and that's not something that you can always say for Dustin Poirier you know sometimes he gets that reputation of being kind of a slow starter but it also goes to show some of the maturity that he started to gain after the Connor loss because yeah. Connor was always talking and mocking him and he couldn't handle that but then we see it here just what four fights after the Connor loss yeah and he's getting mocked mid-fight stays mm-hmm. headstrong and knocks the guy out for it so we begin to see that maturity and now when you look at Dustin None of that bothers him at all, obviously, but it's just it's showing right. where he started that evolution. Right, and following this fight, things would not necessarily get any easier for Bobby Green. He, at this point, lost two straight. He would go on to lose a split decision to Rashid Magomedov. I'm going to be honest, before looking this up, I didn't even know who Rashid Magomedov was, so I know that this was a step down for him. That would happen on the UFC on Fox card, headlined by Demetrius Johnson and Wilson Hayes. Ah. So April 15, 2017. That means that after this fight to Poirier, he basically was gone for about seven, eight months. Mm-hmm. So then he loses there, announces he retires on Instagram, but then he would end up coming back. Or no, sorry. I was going to say, it was actually yeah, sorry, the sorry, sorry, one. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> So that made, that made three straight losses. Right. Then, he, at UFC 216, headlined by Tony Ferguson and Kevin Lee, he would go to a split draw with Lando Venata, a very tough fighter, yeah. but a fight where it was a draw due to the fact that Venata was deducted a point. So another fight that he would have lost, probably, if yeah. not for an illegal knee. It was given fight of the night, though, so he did get and a nice And they later bonus. ran it back. Yeah. However, after that, he would bounce back with a win, a unanimous decision win over Eric Koch. That would happen on uh, Jacare Souza versus Derek Brunson 2, UFC on Fox card there. That was January 2018. And then he would go on to finish 2018 with a loss to Dracker Close, unanimous decision. That was on the UFC on Fox card, Kevin Lee versus Ally Quinta 2. The very last. That was the last uh, Fox card. Right. Yeah. Broadwork Network Television, I should say. And then he would lose via unanimous decision to Francisco Trinaldo. Then that was on the Jan Blahovich versus Jacare Souza card. That was November 2019. So he took basically a year off between these losses, and after that, he would announce that he had retired. But he would come back literally in June of 2020, and then you would kind of see him go on a nice little run here King in 2020. Uh, he got the wins over Clay Guida, Lando Venata, Alan Patrick, and then on, he did lose his last fight to Tiago Moises. Great but we fight. will be seeing him fight this Saturday. Yep. Uh, so the, the the book is not, the you know, it's the ink is not dry on uh, mm-hmm. Bobby Green's story. He's still got a ways to go. He looked great la- in last year in 2020. Yeah, and man. Moises has really made a nice run for himself. Yeah. So the, as long as Tiago keeps looking the way he's been looking, yeah. then, I mean, really, that loss is going to look and better and better. that was a razor-thin It was. Fight. So, Bobby Green kind of had an interesting run after this. Not really great, considering he was looked at a very high prospect at one point. On the reverse end, though, Dustin Poirier, actually, after this fight, kind of, kind of it was basically probably the worst part of his run at lightweight. Because he would get knocked out by Michael Johnson, a fight that I... Every yeah. time Michael Johnson fights, every I'm going to talk about it. 
He got knocked out a minute 35 seconds into the fight. That was a headliner of a fight night, September 2016. Pretty bad knockout. It was literally four months after this win over Bobby Green. However, he would bounce back with a majority decision win over Jim Miller at UFC 208. Then you kind of had that no contest with the illegal knees against Eddie Alvarez. So even though that wasn't a loss, and I don't believe he wasn't the one that landed the knee. No, it was Eddie that did it. But this time period, this kind of 2016 to 20, really 2017, it was just, it felt like Dustin's career wasn't really going anywhere. It was at a stalemate. It was at a stalemate. But not to be, not to be uh, kept down, Poirier would go on right after this to go on his finest run. Mm. I mean, look at this, this killer's row. He headlined a fight night against Anthony Pettis and would get that submission, a body triangle. That was fight of the night. Then he would get a TKO over Justin Gaethje. That was fight of the night. Then he TKO'd Eddie Alvarez. That was performance of the night. All fight night headliners, I think. All yep, three of those. all three of them. And then he would go on to headline a pay-per-view with Max Holloway for the interim lightweight championship at UFC 236. And he really brought the fight to Max. Oh, I mean, yeah. Max had his moments, but Dustin nearly swept the cards. Yeah, it was 4-1. We, we to one. clear 4-1, yeah. And um, not a lot of people probably gave Dustin much of a shot there because Max had looked unstoppable yeah. at, at featherweight. But he gets a big win there. He would lose in the in the uh, the fight to kind of unify the unify belts. the belts against Habib via rear naked choke. But who doesn't? But then right after that, he has a fight of the year contender of 2020 against Dan Hooker, a fight he would win. And, and then we just talked about a month ago, a little less than that. He TKO'd Conor McGregor in a rematch, his biggest win of his career. And now, I mean, really, this <laughs> the world is yours. <laughs> he is essentially the puppet master of the lightweight division right now. Yeah, so. I mean, he can kind of do whatever he wants, it seems like. So, things turned out all right for Poirier, but like kind of an immediate aftermath. It didn't look like that. Right. It looked like, you know, this was such a big win, and then you follow that up by getting starched by yeah. Michael Johnson, who was no slouch at this time either. But, uh, yeah, just very interesting to see kind of how these two guys' careers went. It definitely showed that Poirier was the better fighter here, and he's had the better career thus mm-hmm. far. Yeah. So then after this, we're going to move on to our second fight of the main card at middleweight. Legend right here. Fight of the night as well. It For was, us. Yeah, if of the main card. Of the main card, Definitely yeah. the fight of the night. Dan Henderson, who was, I believe, 44, 45 at the time. Going up against Hector Lombard, who was a big signing for the UFC. and Never lived up um, to it, it seems. Yeah, but. so on Dan's end, again, I just mentioned he was about 45 coming into this Been fight. there, done that. He really had, man. And I'm not going to go through every fight he had. He kind of bounced around a lot. You know, he started in Pride back in the early 2000s. At least that's where he started, you know, when gaining traction. After his pride days, he would have a run in the UFC, including a title fight with Anderson Silva. Um, He would have some big wins there against, like, Rich Franklin. He knocked out Michael Bisping at UFC 100. Brutally. After that win, he goes to Strikeforce. Has a pretty, really good... Did he win the belt at Strikeforce or no? Um, Yes, he won the light heavyweight championship. So, he would win that against Rafael Cavalcante. But he never defended. His mm-hmm. next fight for, for Strike Force was actually at heavyweight against Fedor, and he would TKO. Yeah, him. he knocked. Yeah. 
Then he moves on to the UFC again for his second run. And guess what his first fight was back? I'm blanking. UFC 139 against Mauricio Shogun, who uh, uh, what is considered one of the best fights. Yeah, that time. was in our top ten, if yep, I'm not mistaken. It was. But then after this is when <laughs> I think his age started the show. He would lose three straight to Lyoto Machida, Rashad Evans, and Vitor Belfort. The Vitor fight being that head kick KO, which Vitor was doing to everybody, but still disgusting. And then he would knock out Shogun Hua in their rematch. And then he would lose two more fights to Daniel Cormier, Gegard Mousasi. I forgot he fought DC. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then he would knock out Tim Bosch. And then he would lose via KO again to Vitor Belfort in their third encounter of their career. And that leads us here. So really, this second run for him in the UFC has been really disappointing. Because after beating Shogun Hua in his welcome back fight, he was supposed to headline UFC 151 against John Jones, which was the first ever pay-per-view to be canceled because Dan couldn't make it. So then the UFC tried to call on Chael Sonnen. John's uh, camp turned it down. Yeah, it was uh, Mike. Uh, Winkle Jackson. John, Jackson Wink. Yeah. yeah, they, he told him, he advised John not to take the fight, too much of a risk, and therefore the whole pay-per-view was canceled. So after that, losing the three straight, yeah, sure, he would knock out Shogun and Tim Bosch, but I mean, the record's very mixed coming into this fight here. And that would show, in effect, he was only ranked 14th. And to think what came next. <laughs> well, he's going up against Hector Lombard, who had not had a very easy run of things either up to this point. He was a big signing. He was a big deal for Bellator. Coming into his debut in the UFC, his record was 31-2-1. What a freaking animal. And he looked like every yes. bit of it, too. Yes, he did. But his debut, he would lose to Tim Bosch, split decision. And sure, he would knock off some wins. You know, he knocked out Husamar Palhares, another guy that looks like they kind of look alike, <laughs> funny enough. Uh, he would lose another split decision to Yushin Okami. But then he had two back-to-back wins over Nate Marquardt and Jake Shields. Um, actually, he would technically win three straight. He followed that up with the win over Josh Berkman. It got overturned because guess what, Oh. Old Lombard tested positive for some, uh, some anab- anabolic steroids. Uh, I'm shocked. He's a big guy. <laughs> and once he would come back from that suspension, he would lose to Neil Magny via TKO, and here we are. I see a lot of red. Well, we'll get there. <laughs> but So kind of coming in here, it, it's definitely looking like already – this is not the this same monster signing. Is this not, is not the yeah. same Hector Lombard that the UFC had signed mm-hmm. from Bellator, and there was probably even more questions due to the fact that he had tested positive for anabolic steroids. I mean, he was already a huge guy, and in this fight, he still looked huge. What was the delay between when that test or that fight and his next? So fight? the fight against Berkman happened at UFC 182. That was January third, twenty fifteen. He would fight Neil Magny March 20th, 2016, so a year and two months year, later. So. And then this fight was June 2016. So Probably a first-time offense. So not and too long being TKO'd by Magny, pretty quick turnaround. Only yeah. a three-month turnaround here. So, 
you know, that doesn't, we don't see that tend to work out for a lot of guys who have been knocked out. And that was in Magny's tear. That was the year where Magny won like five fights in a year, if I'm not mistaken. So, again, I'm going to let give you the floor to talk about the action here because really round one was pretty much what well, fight is dan henderson in that's not just a slobber <laughs> but round one he was having to fight brought Getting, to him yes knocked down i think twice yep. in that first round lombard just landing monster shots hendo of course firing back just because that's his instinct to just keep firing when he's hurt he makes it out around one gets to the stool then round two happens and we see a knockout that truthfully i don't think i've ever seen before and i don't know <laughs> if we'll ever see it again Dan Henderson throws a body kick. Hector essentially catches it. And as Hendo's body is twisted, he just takes his elbow, right? Mm-hmm. And he just throws it Sets to the side. Little... Yeah, just right onto the temple. Mm-hmm. Hector goes down like a sack of potatoes. Hector goes down like Woody when Andy walks in the room. <laughs> it was really like Andy's coming. And Hector dropped. Henderson... <laughs> Gets on top for the brutal, I must add. He drops two L. When, when, listen, when Henderson knocks somebody out, he's going to make sure. Yeah. I mean, if you guys have ever seen the the, the probably more iconic knockout of Michael Bisping at UFC 100, you know, he knocks him out with the, with the Hendo bomb on the right hand. And then he's like, eh. Just drops another right. Yeah. He literally just dunks on him with another right hand as he's literally stiff as plank from yeah. Ed Ed and Eddie. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. He does so, it again here except he, with two elbows. Yeah, with two elbows. I mean... Herb I, Dean couldn't get there I know quick Hector, enough. I know Hector Lombard tested positive for steroids, but I don't think there was a lot of bad blood between these you two. You don't have to do him like that. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Like, the Bisping one, Bisping was talking a lot of shit. Like, I kind of get it. <laughs> yeah. This one was arguably worse. He landed two. Yeah, it was bad. And it was elbows. All elbows. And, all three shots were elbows. And, uh, yeah, I was like, man... He didn't have to do Hector like that, but it was still. <laughs> I, I I remember when I when I was watching this live with you. That was the moment where I went, "This sport's fucking awesome." <laughs> Not because of what he did after the knockout, just the fact that he saw this forty-five-year-old man just like, kick. Such a because I was like watching this, I was like, "Oh, this this huge Hector Lombard yeah. guy is gonna destroy this old ass man." Yeah, and nope. then. Dan Henderson said, hold my elbows. Boop. Right to the side. <laughs> yeah. um, the ageless wonder, Dan Henderson. I, truly. I mean, it was it was an awesome fight, though. Just, oh, yeah. again, kind of that slobber knocker type mold, yeah. you know. Not that these guys were lacking technique, but, I mean, round one, Henderson was hurt early. Oh, yeah. Hurt a few times. Um, Hector just couldn't get the job done, though. Dan showing off that just even at that age. Iron he, chin, yeah, man. Iron really. chin. And, you know, he'd been knocked out a few oh, times yeah. at that point. but it never quite gave all the way through. It really didn't. And then round two, I mean, again, it was kind of a lot of the same. I mean, I would I would argue, I mean, it, the knockout came a minute 27 into the second round. So let's, you know, take that yeah. for what it is. But at the first minute or so, I thought Hector was still doing his thing. I thought if the fight continued like that, he was probably going to win that second round. And then out of nowhere, just that, that little – that little elbow to the temple just completely flatlined him. Mm-hmm. Another note, I probably should have mentioned this at the top, talking about this one. This was Hector Lombard's return to middleweight. So he had fought at welterweight for a few times before this, after the Neil Magny loss. That guy fought at welterweight? <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. So he moved back up to middleweight, 
And I guess it didn't really go his way here the, either. No. And that's where we're going to... So, the, you know, after this loss, he's lost two straight. You got to know that that's got to be weighing on him because he was looked at as a big deal. At this point, he was 34-6-1. Only two losses coming into the UFC, and now you've dropped four before you've even won four. Not a great look, right? It didn't get any easier. He would, after this fight, he would fight February 2017 against Johnny Hendricks. Big rig. A fight he would lose via unanimous decision. That was on a fight night headlined by Derek Lewis and Travis Brown. Oh, I remember that. Where Ronda's finest at. Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) Then he would get TKO'd in September 2017 by Lionheart, Anthony Smith. Oh, yeah. That was at middleweight. Back when Anthony fought at middleweight. And uh, that was the fight night headlined by Luke Rockhold and David Branch. Full circle. And then, <laughs> now at this point, we're at four straight losses. Yeah. Let's make it five. Okay. Um, he would be disqualified at UFC 222 in a fight against C.B. Dalloway due to, basically, he hit Dalloway twice after the bell, and Dalloway wasn't able to continue. Ooh. So, he was disqualified, and that, that was after the very first round. So, to make that five straight losses, well. Make it six. Let's make it six. His very final fight of his entire pro MMA career, he would lose a unanimous decision to Talis Leites. Fight night headlined by Tiago Santos and Eric Anders. Man, that's That tough. was September 22nd, 2018 in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Tough. So his career ended, mind you, coming into the UFC, 31, he was 31-2-1. So 31-2, we'll just say. And he finished. He finished 34-10. and 10. Wow. The man went... Three and eight? Two and eight. Two and eight. Wait. Three and eight. Three and eight. In the UFC. Wow. Yeah. With six straight losses. And if you if you want to count that no contest as a win, it's four and eight. Wow. And I mean, he lost. After this fight, he would go on to lose four more straights and make it six straight. And this is a big deal. This guy was a massive signing for the UFC. Yeah, people won't remember it now just because it feels, the way MMA works is so constantly moving. Moves quick, yeah. Um, he was unranked in this fight, but I mean, a lot of that's just because of the layoff and yeah. the fact that he lost. I mean, he well, also this was his first fight back at middleweight. middleweight. But yeah, he was a big deal for the UFC, and he just never could live up. And not only did he not live up, but he he was bad. I mean, just I mean, there's really no way around it. I mean, when you lose six straight, like you just yeah. and I know that they're not bad competition, but. It's it sucks. It's a it's a, it really comes off like once he was off the juice, he just wasn't the same guy. And we see that with a lot of people. More than we probably know. You you can see when the USADA era begins. You know. You know. You talk about the guys like Johnny Hendricks or some of these other guys, but Vitor. Yeah, Vitor, uh, Alistair Overeem, guys like that. But here it was like the most mm-hmm. just obvious because he did test positive, and then you see the after that he basically couldn't win a fight. It's crazy. On the other end, however, we have Dan Henderson. And this one's pretty easy. He had one more fight after this. For a title. For a title at UFC 204 in Manchester, England. He fought as, I believe he was ranked 13th. He was 13th when he got the title fight. And it would be against the guy who we'll be talking about a little bit later. Michael Bisping. And it was a rematch because they had fought at UFC 100. Yep. 
And <laughs> maybe the less said about Dan Henderson getting that title fight, the better. But it ended up being an awesome fight. I, I, I think really their main reasoning for doing it was like, this is his retirement fight. Yeah, I think it was that. was that. like the only justifiable I think it thing. was that, and I think Bisping wanted yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Because he wanted to get that win back. And so, it I is what it. it is. Hey, yes. the fight lived up. Yeah, hey, it was an fun. awesome fight. Good and fun. arguably, <laughs> Dan won, arguably. Yeah, I agree. And that would have been crazy. Oh, in that. England, too. Yeah, so uh, he goes out on a loss, but not one to hang your head on. For a belt, man. Yeah, what a career for that guy. I mean, yeah, it sure was the the later part of his career were a lot more mixed than maybe we like to remember. He's a legend. Yeah, but I mean, the competition was just. And this guy was doing it in his mid forties. Yeah, a legend of all mixed martial arts. And I I UFC. think this Hector Lombard win might have been his finest of that later part of his career. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe the knockout over Shogun, but just this fighter with Hector Lombard, it just the fashion he did it. Yeah, just the fact that he was able to come back after being hurt bad multiple times and able to land that knockout punch. I mean, he just showed what a badass he still mm-hmm. was, even at his old age. Kind of like who says you can't teach dog, yeah. old dog nutrition. Exactly. Right? Interesting fight moving into here. Love it. Absolutely love it. Max Holloway. This fight was at featherweight. Max Holloway, who was ranked fourth at the time, going up against the guy right below him, number five ranked, Ricardo Lamas. This was Max's last non-title fight all the way until just this past January against Calvin Cater. I love that fact. Yeah. That's Yeah, I didn't even think about that. So we've talked about Max in detail because we just uh, previewed and recapped one of his fights. But coming into this fight, Max was on a tear. There's oh, no other way around it. Nine-fight win streak coming in. And... Some of those names, the Killers. last three fights, I mean, you look at just the last three. That's all I'm going to mention. Cub Swanson. Killer. Guillotine choke. Charles Oliveira, TKO. All-time leader in submissions, by the way. Jeremy Stevens' decision. And then you get this Ricardo Lamas fight. I mean, it was it was obvious that with the win here, in, in the broadcast, what's funny is Joe Rogan talks about, because Conor McGregor was the featherweight champion. Yeah. Which, it's just so funny to look back on, because... They didn't know all that would yeah. come of Connor. Yeah, still, and we didn't know? know that Connor was going to move up to lightweight. Yeah. We didn't know that he was never going to defend the featherweight belt. So they just talked like, yeah, Max is probably one win away, and he could be facing Connor McGregor again. Yeah, because I don't even know. It sounded like the Nate number two wasn't made yet. No, judging by I think by this talking. point it had been canceled due to Connor. Yeah, because it was going to be 200 him. originally. Yeah. That's true. Now, can I ask one question about that nine-fight win streak? Yeah. Was Max's last loss, if I'm not mistaken, Dustin Poirier? No, actually. It or was, was it Conor? Conor McGregor. Dustin was first. Or so the first loss. There was three. He, okay. I so he lost to Dustin, Dustin Poirier to make his record four and one. That was his UFC debut? Yeah. And then he would win three straight, gotcha, including gotcha. a win over Leonard Garcia, and then he would lose back-to-back Dennis Bermudez and Conor McGregor. So then he went on a tear. Yep. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, on the flip end, Ricardo Lamas. So coming into this fight, still another guy who had really been hanging around the top. A guy who kind of, you know, he was kind of like the featherweight Pantoja. That's a good way to put it. Because his losses up to this point in this division were Jose Aldo and Chad Mendes. It was a guy who couldn't quite, he hadn't quite been able to get over the hump to challenge for a belt or 
win a belt. But he got right near the mountain. But top. wins over Diego Sanchez, which was his last win coming in here. And that was still when Diego was a very good fighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dennis Bermudez, another very tough guy. Eric Koch, Cub Swanson. Um, before that, he beast, fought man. He fought with the WEC before that. So he had been fighting high-level competition for a long time. Really, another guy that's kind of like of legend status of the lower weight class. For sure. You know? And for sure a guy who's going to be underrated as we look back on his career. Because yeah. it appears his career's kind of done now. He just but... recently retired. Yeah. And we'll talk about that after. But that's where we are right now. Both guys at very high, you know, Max is the guy surging. But... In my opinion, coming in on paper, Ricardo Lamas is like the proven commodity. Yeah, I mean, it was almost, I mean, and again, we'll get into like what came next, but if you look at it, it was kind of like, oh, a number one contender fight sort of deal. It was four versus five with a lot of question marks in the division. The winner had a big thing coming next, we'll yeah. put it that way. So this ended up being a pretty good fight. Yeah, it did. It, there, and, you know, it wasn't. For the most part, one-sided, but a good fight. Yeah, like Ricardo always was hanging in there, but yeah. Max was just so the boxing, just the pace, the, the striking. Um, you had a very early um, part of the fight where these guys were just throwing, just standing flat, yeah, throwing just haymakers at each other, and then obviously the most iconic part of this fight, the last ten seconds. Max points to the mat, yep. and they just, and they sling, just it out. sling it out. Um, those were definitely the high points, but I with, mean overall, with, the... with two rare submission attempts in the middle. By <laughs> yeah, the way, I by honestly Max. I didn't remember that. One was like almost a bulldog looking choke. It was real funky. Yeah, and then yeah. He, he tried the rear naked. Well, it was as well. a bulldog choke, but it was like yeah, a reverse, arm, yeah, a reverse it was bulldog. Weird, man, um, you don't see submission attempts often from Max. <laughs> yeah. So it was it was a pretty good fight though. I oh, had yeah. fun watching it. Um, definitely a little one sided, but. That was, I mean, it, it was just another great performance for Max Holloway yeah. and another fight that showed that Ricardo Lamas really is a great test He's at a this dog, time. Man. Man. Um, did you have any other thoughts on that fight? It's well put. After this fight for Max, I mean... Gold, gold, gold. <laughs> what can you really say? He would win the interim belt uh, at the very end of 2016 at UFC 206 against Anthony Pettis via TKO. Was that in Toronto? Then he would unify the belt with Jose Aldo. You know, the less I won't go into all the detail about how Jose ended up back with the belt, but Connor going up to lightweight and then the whole boxing thing with Floyd Mayweather, that's the simple way to put it. And the, well, the follow at UFC 200, Jose won the interim. Yeah, Jose won the interim, so then he got promoted to the um, once Connor did return. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then this was the unified belt. At UFC 212. In Max, Brazil. Max would win via TKO in the third round. And then, after that, I mean, he he had a... Th- he only defended the belt three times. But it was an awesome run. Oh, him. yeah. He would TKO Jose again at UFC 218. Then he would have what, really, before this Calvin Cater fight His, was the yeah, defining performance. performance. Against Brian Ortega, a fight that the doctor stopped in the... After the fourth round. Again, at that time, by the way, Ortega was a freaking undefeated. Everyone thought this is the end of Max right here. First guy to finish Frankie Edgar. Yeah. And then he would defend the belt against Frankie Edgar at UFC 240 before losing uh, to Alexander Volkanovsky at UFC 245. 
He would then lose the rematch controversially at UFC 251. Um, he also, again, I talked about it with Dustin Poirier. Did Funny how up, those man. two, the, yeah. our headliners from UFC 236, both on this card, he would lose when he tried to move up to lightweight to go for her champ champ, kind of. Yep. And he would lose that fight to Dustin Poirier. And then after those two Volkanovski losses, he just had that, one my God, one of the best, best performances, performances of all time yeah. of any fighter against Calvin Cater. Whew. Incredible performance. And here we are with one of the best to ever do it, really. Only and, 29 years old. Crazy. Now, and for Ricardo. For Ricardo Lamas, he would follow this up with two straight wins. So, good bounce backs. No kidding. Submission win over Charles Oliveira. I knew you were going to say that. Damn it. <laughs> and then he TKO'd Mr. Jason Knight at UFC 214. That's two solid bounce backs, man. Yep. I mean, he stayed right there in top five, I'd have yeah. to imagine. After and then uh, he would have back-to-back losses. He would be knocked out by Josh Emmett. Oof. Uh, he gets like a truck. And then he lost a split decision to Mirsad Bektik, a guy who... This was at UFC 225. Mirsad Bektik at one time was looked at as a very good prospect. And now he's still somewhat underrated to a certain extent. But at that I, time, I think he was there. That, he was just a guy that was a little overhyped, mm-hmm. I guess, or just didn't quite live up to the hype. But at points in his career, he looked really good. At those two losses, he would TKO Darren Elkins. That's a guy you don't see the getting damage. finished very yeah, no often. Um, then he would be TKO'd at UFC 238 by Mr. Calvin Cater. Look at all this. And his final fight, we talked about it, August 29th, 2020. It was fight of the night. We both agreed with that. He had a unanimous decision win over Bill Algeo. That was a great fight. Originally supposed to be, um, what's the guy, what's his name? Here we are. Leg locks. Leg locks. Oh, 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 oh. Ryan Hall. Ryan Hall. There it is. There it is. He's originally supposed, Bear to, with us. originally supposed to fight Ryan Hall. We know what we're talking about. We just blank out sometimes. But he ends up fighting Bill Algio, who honestly He's looked pretty good after that. He's been that. in some tough fights. Spike Carlisle. So, yeah, he, he would end up having pretty, honestly, it's just a very underrated career even yeah, after this. I was expecting to, to see a lot more red, you know. That's a good way to put his Like, sure, you have your, well. he lost three fights after this Max one. After this Max fight. He would go four and three the rest of his career. What did he finish with a record wise? Uh, Twenty and eight. You know what? He literally look, went, look at the competition. He went four and three after this Max fight, and I think the competition speaks for itself that he was definitely still underrated even at the end. Like yeah. he probably should have still been ranked in the top ten. Like yeah. honestly speaking, and I and I didn't quite give him. You know when I watched. Or when I remember kind of breaking down that fight with Algio, I really looked at it like this was a guy over the hill. Yeah. And I just don't know Algeo, if that's quite the, the case. You know? Yeah. So, just wanted to give some respect there. Shout out Ricardo Lamas. Yeah. I like that he was on this card. Here's where things get interesting. We got our coming event. And the least interesting part about this subject is going to be the fight itself. Mm. <laughs> Fair enough. So, your champion, Dominic Cruz. The Dominator. I mean, this one's pretty simple. The guy coming in to this fight was 22 and 22 and oh, 21 and 1. 21 and 1, yeah. Literally hadn't lost since to Uriah Favor back when he was just 9 and 0, went so 9 and 1 after that. What fight. year was that? WEC 26 in 2007. So he went 9 years undefeated. Yep. I mean, some of these wins in WEC he beat Ian McCall, Joseph Benavidez, just Benavidez again. Greatest band of all time. Scott Jorgensen. Yeah. 
Uriah, and then he goes on to UFC. First fight, him and Uriah Faber. What was that for the belt then, I'm assuming? He probably brought the belt with well, him. Well, I think, so he, he technically won the UFC Bantamweight Championship in his last WEC okay, fight. Okay, so he came in the champion. Yeah, so that's that. whenever Scott Jorgensen gave him the UFC belt. Gotcha. And then he defended against Uriah, Demetrius Johnson, the yeah. best flyweight of all time. He would knock out, well, this is where he, all right, I guess we do need to talk about the fact that uh, Cruz's injury history is... Oh, unbelievable, man. Oh, You talk shit. about a guy that could... No telling what he could have done without the injuries. Poor guy. And He's up, got no knees. Basically, up into the Demetrius fight, no problems. Yeah. Well, that was 2011. October 1st, 2011, he beats Demetrius Johnson. Guess when his next fight is? 2014? September 2014. Mm-hmm. A nearly three-year layoff due to... Oh, my God. ACL. ACL. Oh, they tried to put in... The knees. They tried to put in, like, the... Um, the artificial The like, artificial ligament, ligament and it rejected yeah. it. Oh, my God. Like, the guy went through everything. He had to, he had to vacate the belt. That's when him and Brown became... Yeah. Best the, fighter in the world at that point. Yeah. Well enough. He would come back at UFC 178 which is a card that I mention a lot because it's so star-studded. That was the It was headlined by Demetrius Johnson and Chris Carriasso, but you had Donald Cerrone, Eddie Alvarez, Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor. This fight was on there. On the prelims, the headliner. And he knocked out Takeya Mizugaki one minute, one second into the first round. What a comeback. You don't see that much from Dominic Cruz either. Wow. Yeah. And then it kind of happens again. More yep. injuries. Yep. Because we don't see him again until he fights for the belt January 2016. Yeah, yeah. So basically a year and a half layoff. It was another ACL, if I'm not and mistaken. And this time, the champion the was TJ Dillashaw, yep. who had that incredible performance over Hennem Brown. He shocked the world when he beat Hennem Brown. I mean, he was so young, and everybody thought wrote him off. And yeah. He not only did he beat him once, he beat him twice. Mm-hmm. So TJ Dillashaw was looked at like he was really building a resume to be the best bantamweight of all time. Dominic comes in and beats him. And, and Dominic Cruz, by the way, has an aura of him of beating anyone to come out of American Top Team at this point. Mm-hmm. Because at this point, TJ was another top team, or I'm not, I'm sorry, not American Top Team, Team Alpha Male. Team My Alpha apologies. Male. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get what I was saying. I, I, I didn't <laughs> notice that either. My apologies, but yeah, so. You know, the Faber fights, and we're going to get into the third Faber fight. The T.J. Dillashaws, he would go on to fight Cody Garbrand. Like, he was fighting and beating outside of, of course, you know, Cody. But that's for another <laughs> yeah. classic review. So, uh, he had a aura around him of this, and this was another part of that with T.J. Yeah, and that was he, controversial. And he mistaken. won a split decision. Yeah. It was a very close fight. It headlined a fight night, January 2016. I think the majority of people say Cruz won. But it was at least close enough. That's to where one I'd have to go back and watch. That it's one. close enough to where you could see it the other way, right? And then that's where we are here. Yep. His first title defense after reclaiming the belt after all these years of just layoffs and, you know, almost being able to come back and then having another injury to pull him out. And he's fighting Uriah Favor, finishing their trilogy. Yep. A lot of this context was a miss on me as I watched for the first for time. For the first time. So being able to watch it here with you, it, it, it added It'll a little something. Sense, yeah. It added a little something to it. And 
Jeez, man, this guy was just on another level at this time. His movement is second to none. It's so fun to watch him fight. It's fun, and what's, you want to talk about unorthodox? I mean, if you if you were to go to a boxing gym and do what Dominic Cruz does, they would kick you out. Yeah, they would say you're not taking this seriously. You're doing literally everything wrong. Little do they know he's one of the best fighters in the world. <laughs> he's one of the best of all time. Yeah. And, I mean, so much so, you put him in your top ten. Yeah, yeah. I think high up. six. Yeah, he's pretty high up. So, this was a, just a, another class act performance from Dominic Cruz. Um, I had it him sweeping the cards, yeah. 50-45. One judge did give Uriah one round. I don't know which one that could have been, but But okay. it, it was constant pressure. And the thing about um, the thing about Cruz's footwork is that he will pressure you up against the cage, and then he'll jump back. And then you kind of step out, and then he comes in and hits you with a combo. Yeah. And then he's out again. And, you know, you can't even call him, like, an orthodox or southpaw fighter because he doesn't have a stance. He literally fights you straight. He, like, fights square. Fights square. Like, shoulder width apart, square, hands low. And that's where you see... And then he'll just glide in and out. And in Uriah's post-fight interview, he even said, he's like, Cruz got power because he got dropped in the second round. Yeah. So, like, you wouldn't expect a guy that stands like that to have really any power because you kind of need... The body, you know, I don't know, what would you call it? Physics tells you yeah, yeah. that you want to stand either orthodox to, to or southpaw in order to get more yeah. power with that hand. Dom said, eh. Dom said, eh. I'm going to try this. And dropped him. And shows the well-roundedness of his skill set in this fight. Wrestled the wrestler in Uriah Faber in round one. And out-wrestled him. Yeah. And I think, I bet a lot of people didn't think that Dominic really had it like that on the ground. Yeah, and in the process, Uriah Faber damn near loses the britches. <laughs> yeah, I want to let you talk about this. because I know you I just were... thought it was hilarious. Yeah. So, Uriah Faber's <laughs> Reebok trunks were down around the ankles almost in this fight. We've got the black boxers hanging out. And Joe Rogan is fascinated here. Yes, we're talking... He they're, they're at one point up in the cage, into the corner, right in front of the commentary team. Joe Rogan is staring a hole through Uriah Faber's ass. Yes, he is. Hilarious. He said, Mike, Uriah's about to lose his pants. We're going to have to, the ref's going to have to step in here. And Herb was like looking around, trying to see how low they were. <laughs> they eventually get out. He pulls them back up. Then in the fifth round, it gets a little worse. Yeah, we got a little butt crack action. You get a little butt round. crack in the fifth round, and then so, there was some guy with a camera <laughs> yeah. right up on his ass. It was just hilarious, absolutely hilarious. Funny enough, the guy with the camera was one of the stars of the MMA show Kingdom. If you haven't watched that, it is <laughs> I on forgot Netflix. that's who it was because I was like, "Who's yes. that guy? Who's that uh, guy recording Uriah's ass?" Yes. If you've watched Kingdom, it is Jay. So one of the main characters, the son of Alvy, the fighter in the show Kingdom was videotaping and probably to this day on the iCloud has video footage of your eye favors ass. Yeah. So crazy. There's that. I mean it was a very one sided fight. <laughs> yeah, though. it was all Dominic Cruz. But going back and watching it, I enjoyed it a lot more than I did when I watched it for the first time. Yeah, I was that was to... probably very unique for you to watch then. I yeah, guess. I remember not being too into this fight the first time I watched it. I was just like, uh, not a lot to You were wanting KOs probably. Though. Yeah, I mean that's just me being a casual, a filthy casual, you know? <laughs> I just remember the first time watching this. I remember this was the fight where I was like, uh, okay, well, this is the bad side of MMA. <laughs> but going back and watching it, I could appreciate the technique the a lot more. And yeah. you just saw Uriah was never comfortable. And there's another fun fact about this fight, isn't there, Noah? The end of this fight, I should say. Because you actually were the one that pointed it out to me. So, obviously, as all title fights go and all fights in general, you get your two fighters usually, if, as long as both guys are able to <laughs> right. stand and be present. 
Uh, they read off the scorecards, Bruce Buffer does, and then the ref will raise the hand of the winner as it's announced. For title fights, Dana's usually in there, has the belt, and he'll wrap That's it around right. the race yeah. of the winner. Dana's absent. Yeah. I uh, said, wait a second here. Who was it that It was Lorenzo. Yeah. No, no, no. It's one of the Or no, it was Sean, Sean Shelby. Shelby. Yeah, Sean yeah. Shelby. Fertito was in there, but Shelby yeah. did the belt. So yeah. Sean Shelby wraps the belt around, and you were the one that actually made me notice it. You go, oh, where's Dana? And it clicked, and I went, oh, this is going to be a great episode. You, you took me down a wormhole here because I didn't know this. So. This is all news to me. So This is going to lead into a lot of stuff that happened after this fight. Um, basically, there was a preview video, a hype video shown on this card. For UFC 200, you know, the, the big milestone, mm-hmm. the video shows the three title fights on the card. You got... And now at this time, they were... Yeah, at the, at the time. <laughs> so you got your interim featherweight belt, Frankie Edgar, Jose Aldo. You got your women's bantamweight belt, the champion Misha Tate facing Amanda Nunes. And your main event, the grudge match for the light heavyweight title, the rematch between... Daniel Cormier and John Jones. And we'll get into all the UFC 200 stuff down the line in another episode. But yeah. <laughs> So they showed that video. Happens. It was an awesome video. Yeah, yeah. And then the video, they, they show the three fights kind of like, almost like a somewhat poster, or yeah. little promo images. And then you just hear, can you see me now? Can you see me now? I remember seeing that live on TV like, Geeking out. Yeah, you were oh my god, yeah, he's we, coming back. We were freaking he's out. Back. And all of a sudden, you see Brock Lesnar, and he's got a little smirk on yeah. his face. And then he just punches like the, camera, the camera. And I shit myself. And then the, it comes back, and Joe Rogan's like, What was that? <laughs> he's like, Is that real? <laughs> they dropped a bomb. So, for people like us, and I mean, even though you were a huge, a huge fan at this point, you weren't necessarily following some of these journalists on Twitter. That is very correct. Because yeah. now we like literally have their notifications yeah. on, they yeah. get the fight updates and all that. It took me a long time to really get to that point. Really, doing this podcast is what kind of got Yeah, me. we are now part of the MMA Twitter, like, <laughs> elite. Yeah, but at this time, at this we time not. we didn't. So this was news to us, yeah, this, this yeah. whole thing. However, approximately, I don't know, an hour before this announcement, a guy by the name of Ariel Hawani tweets out. The, the biggest reporter in mixed martial arts. Yes, the biggest. He's been the biggest for literally two decades. I mean, the guy is, He works hard. He's an awesome guy. He, like, he's awesome at what he does. Yeah. However, on this night, <laughs> he might have... I don't know if he ever expected the consequences yeah. of this, but they are still felt to this day. Yeah. He puts a tweet out saying that the UFC are planning to bring back Brock Lesnar for UFC 200. Now, some of you would go, well, that's nothing Just new, rumor. right? You know, that's nothing new. Yeah. These people, that happens all the time, right? Like, reporters are constantly getting these scoops and yes. they're putting this stuff out ahead of time. It's their job. <laughs> you know, you, since we were WWE fans, like, we see it a lot today with WWE. Because you know, yeah. it's all pre-scripted. Scripted, yeah. So a lot of times the winners get kind of at least rumored to be mm-hmm. revealed before the card. You see it with like movie spoilers, things like that. Like yeah. it, it, It's a normal thing for a lot of people. Dana White and the Fertitta brothers did not treat this no. like any This is a, Brock coming back was huge for them here. And the thing was, was that it was so hush-hush, according to Dana. Literally only a select mm-hmm. minority of people 
knew about this. So it gets announced. Ariel Helani was not one of them. <laughs> yeah. It gets announced via Ariel. This was before the promo played. Yeah. Yeah. So Dana has to basically go backstage during the title fight between Cruz and Favors. That's why he is not there when the belt's being wrapped around. Because essentially you have a standoff backstage between all these different execs basically pointing fingers at the other. Think of of that scene in the office where you got (laughs) Michael, Dwight, and Andy. And Andy. Pointing the finger guns at each other. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. And hell, you know what? The part where Pam's involved, too. Yeah. Why not throw another There was multiple. Now, also, did Ariel get uh, thrown so out of Ariel him? gets... Ariel and his uh, crew, I don't know if he had a camera. He was whatever. working for one of the outlets at this time. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember which one. Yeah, I don't... I Might don't, have been MMA fighting. Ju- MMA or junkie or fighting. Junkie, one yeah. He gets escorted out of the arena... I believe on his way out, he runs into Dana, and Dana was like, you fucked up, pal. Since then, your or Ariel has never been invited via the UFC to another event. Dana then. says on this night that Ariel Hawani is now permanently banned from all future UFC events. And as the biggest reporter in the sport, That's a, that was a firestorm. Yeah. And... We'll start with the fact that, to this day, we don't know how Ariel got the information. Um, but it apparently, according to Dana and what he's talked about, he's he's not really went into a ton of detail, but he said that basically he nearly apparently ruined a very important partnership. I don't know what that's alluding to. Well, you got to think this was all in the midst of the... The sale. Yes. Yeah, so I don't know if that's what he's alluding to or if there was just more of the personal yeah. friendships with these execs, the part, you know, the, the working relationships. But apparently it was a huge shit show backstage. So Dana's basically missing all this co-main event, dealing with this. I don't even think he's out there when the video is played. He's pissed. Yeah. Bans Ariel for life. Yeah. That... <laughs> Now the guy works for ESPN. Well, anyway. that ban lasted about a little over 24 hours. Actually, 48. Because I believe Monday, Ariel Hawani does, you know, does his show on YouTube. And at this time, it was still a little different. He wasn't working for ESPN. It was the MMA hour or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he goes on there and basically explains his side of the story and I mean, it was very emotional. He was crying at points, you know, talking about how much he loved all that he's done for the sport, all, how much he's loved it, and how he felt betrayed. And Dana always describes it as like he threw a big pity party for himself. <laughs> well, the UFC rescinded that ban because there was a lot of backlash against him for doing so. Because there's just that debate on, like, was Ariel just doing his job, or should he have, you know... Dana said he stole something from the fans, like the the fans who read that tweet. You know, they they didn't get to see what we saw. So it's kind of that debate. Like, do you feel like Ariel was really stealing something for himself, or do you feel like he was just doing his job? You know, it's just. And I see it as the latter. I do. To to an extent. <laughs> I, I I'm not going to say I, it's I don't his understand. His job to break news. However, I will say there have been times I've been pissed when I've read. Something and then before, like, before the, big, the, announcement. the big announcement, yeah. And I'm just like, man, like, come on, do I have to mute my NFL draft? Used to be terrible, for yeah. That. 
back, I think they finally stopped allowing these reporters to do this, but for a few years with the NFL draft, they were tweeting out the selections literally like 10 seconds yeah. before. So yeah. if you had the notifications on for some of these reporters at the NFL, I would look, oh, Bengals selected this person. Oh, what the point is, what's and the point of watching? And then that? on the TV, dun, 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 you're like, oh, shut the fuck up. Yeah, so I, I see both sides, but it appeared the majority of people sided with Ariel on this issue. And then so much of the time since this, not all of it, but much of it has been Ariel being independent until the ESPN and May days. So yeah. did he just go to events following this as an independent uh, journalist slash reporter? Yeah, so after that was um, after that ban was rescinded, he was still able to get his press credentials for gotcha. these events. But really before this, I mean, him and Dana used to be very chummy. So he, he was he's still allowed to come to events. So I, I rescind what I said earlier. But has, can he do like, like I don't think he's talked to Dana since. No. Aren't there certain things that he has not done since that day? Maybe he's... I mean, what? Like what? I mean, I guess he's he been, has at, an post, interviewed. He's he has been a, at post-fight pressers and stuff, I suppose, yeah, and he, pre-fight. He hasn't interviewed Dana So since. really, it might just be Dana th- interviews being the biggest thing. Outside of that, he's kind of done it all still, I suppose. I mean, does he interview fighters? I mean, if he's at post-fight pressers, I guess he technically can. I don't know. I just started thinking about that. So I, I mean, there's a lot. I, I think there's a lot of benefit. Like Brett Okamoto gets a lot of a lot of exclusive yeah. stuff with being that he is so trusted by the UFC. Yeah, Brett does a lot of the on-site. Brett stuff. breaks a lot of news for the UFC. Yeah, that's true. Ariel used to kind of have that role, and now he doesn't. Yeah. Uh, another thing, you know, um, when McGregor Mayweather was being put together. Uh, that was Showtime, I believe. Showtime yeah. Boxing. They wanted Ariel to be on the press, uh, not the press. They wanted him to be a part of the team, kind of surrounding that event. Yeah, yeah. And Dana literally made sure that, that he, he was wasn't. not. So, like Michael Jordan with Isaiah Thomas on the Dream yeah, Team. Yeah. So, needless to say, this this rivalry, this hatred, still burns. Bright, still burns to this day. Uh, you know um, what I'd love? What? Them to burn the hatchet. And yeah. Ariel just drops a bomb one day you know saying who, you know exclusive might, interview coming tomorrow. You know who might be a very important person for DC. that to happen? Daniel Cormier. Or us. Or us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one of the two. Because uh, now you got Ariel in DC. They do. Man, uh, they do great. They do great. They do a weekly show together on YouTube with ESPN MMA. Ariel constantly jokes like, DC, why won't you say my name on the broadcast <laughs> and stuff? And he's like, say he's like, say something to Dana. Put in a good word yeah. for me. So... It appears Ariel doesn't have too many, I guess, he's not too upset over the whole ordeal anymore. Dana Dana still, anytime Ariel's brought up in an interview, like, I remember his interview with the Schmo, he said, like, because that guy, the Schmo, wanted, he had challenged Ariel Hawani to a charity grappling match, (laughs) and uh, Ariel never responded, and he told Dana about that, and Dana's like, well, that's even worse than fighting a girl. He's like, he is one of the weakest human beings oh on this earth. And yeah, it just went off. So Maybe one day. No love lost between those two. But that is why Dana is absent. There you go. <laughs> it's a small detail that you wouldn't even notice that's if you watched today. That's a fun backstory to give, though. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, if yeah. you watched the pay-per-view today, you would never yeah. notice that. But seeing as... You, we're here you can to tell we watch this shit a lot. We're here to inform you. I guys. was like, I was like that GIF of Leonardo where he's pointing at the TV. That was me. <laughs> yeah. Like, where's Dana? Yeah, that exactly. 
So I thank you for pointing that out because I might have forgot all of that. And that was super important yeah. when you get into the context of why this is a classic pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's so much. All right, here yeah, we are. Yeah, we're not just handing out classic titles to random pay-per-views. <laughs> come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Now, we're here for the main event. This is it. This is what we're here for. Michael Bisping getting his rematch against Luke Rockhold because Chris Weidman, 17 days before this fight, couldn't make it. Was it injury, I'm assuming? Yeah, I don't it was know an what injury. Kind, but... I, I don't remember what the injury was, but I know it was bad enough to where he had to. Coming off of just filming a movie with Vin Diesel, Michael Bisping on 17 days notice takes the call. Mm-hmm. Wow. So Weidman pulled out due to a large extrusion herniation on his neck. Ooh. That's right. I remember the videos. Of, remember the videos where he had that like thing. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember MMA that. MMA, it was on forever. MMA world, yep. I remember watching those. That's when we got big. Into yeah, them. so the, it was like leaking, like fluid Ooh, from his more. spine yeah. and stuff. Yeah, real nasty shit. Yeah, but that's why he's not in this fight. So kind of in a turn of events, the number four ranked Michael Bisping gets to call here for a rematch. That probably not a ton of people were asking for. Yeah. Dare I say, the UFC can count on the count. <laughs> that they can. Yes. So, leading in here, Michael Bisping, I mean, what a long career this guy has had. He won season two, mm-hmm. or wait, excuse me, season three season of three. The Ultimate Fighter. Had a very nice run. Started out 14-0 and in his career. Beast. Um Big then name in the UK. He lost to Rashad Evans, but then he would go on to win three more fights, so 17-1. Then he gets knocked out by Dan Henderson. Then he would beat Dennis Kang. Then he loses to Vanderlei Silva. Then he goes on another four-fight winning streak over guys like Sexy Yama. Ah, sexy. Jorge Rivera, the fight where he spit on Rivera's corner and got in Rivera's face after the what fight. What a savage and him, Michael Bisping and, is. Yeah, called him like an asshole and stuff. He TKO'd Jason Mayhem Miller. Oh. Uh, then he would lose a unanimous decision to Chael Sonnen. I would, forgot about they fought. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Would beat Brian Stan, another guy who works for the UFC, or it, did it, work it, for yeah. the UFC. Then he got TKO'd by Vitor Belfort. Mm. A very important fight in Michael's career because that is where the eye problems. Yep. He got a detached retina after that fight. His fight was, or his eye was really never the same, and we'll talk more about that. And with that fight, Michael Bisbeing ever since has been a huge advocate for going against PED usage yep. and everything like that. Cause because time, Vitor was very, Vitor was, he was very much a poster child for that and yeah. for um, TRT. TRT. And so essentially, Bisbeing looks as like, okay, I lost an eye because a guy was cheating. Mm-hmm. So ever since then, he's been a big advocate for that. So that's a little side story. Yeah. So this run here is really just win one, lose one, win yep. one, lose one. I mean, then he follows up the Vitor loss with the win over Alan Belcher, another underrated fighter. Loses to Tim Kennedy. TKO's Kung Lee. And then he has the first loss to Luke Rockhold, a submission guillotine choke. But... Then he hits a three-fight winning streak. Finally kind of overcomes a little bit of a hump there. He has uh, decision wins over C.B. Dalloway, Talas Ladies, and then probably the biggest win of his career at that point was a unanimous decision win over Anderson Silva. That, was that fight of the year that year? That had it to been it's top not five list, It's something. not listed as that, it was but it, one was, of the best it was listed as fight of the night. Uh, unbelievable fight. Um, an awesome fight, you're right. And I mean, it was probably the biggest win of his career up to that point. 
now controversial a little, a little. But I, I mean, if, but he you, won. if you he want won. to talk about it, you can. I just no, nah, nah, I don't want to get into yeah. it. I'm, I'm giving. But all it was the glory. probably still the biggest win of his career. Like, oh, 100. percent He Even knew if, he had made it there. Yeah. So after this win, I mean, he was probably just going to keep fighting. Maybe a guy like Jacare or. I don't know who was, or maybe he, fight he, he would have right? had to fight one more to get to a title. But instead, he's he's the guy that's willing to step in yeah. 17 days notice and fight Luke Rockhold. Luke Rockhold, on the other hand, had been pretty much, for the most part, had, had a really flawless run here. Yeah. Coming into this fight, his record was 15-2. and two. Stud. He was a stud, man. He lost his second ever pro MMA fight, but then his only loss after that between Strike Force and the UFC you was a it. nasty yeah. spinning heel kick knockout and follow up punches from Vitor Belfort. <laughs> um, that would happen in his UFC debut. I mean, he was dominant in Strike Force. He was their middleweight champion yeah, when they I folded. Thought. In the UFC, he loses that debut, but then he goes on to win. Five straight fights. Costas Filippo, excuse me, Tim Bosch, Michael Bisping, Leota Machida, and then at UFC 194, headlined by Conor McGregor and Jose Aldo, he would get the TKO over Chris Weidman. And win the belt. And win the belt. So here is his first title defense against Michael Bisping. Would you like to talk about the fight? Talk about the action. You know... For the most part, not a ton of action in that one-round fight. Mm-hmm. I guess you would call it one of those feeling-out rounds to a certain extent. Both definitely getting some feelers in on each other. They were landing. I will say I noticed this time watching it, not trying to cut you off after Mm-mm. I was giving you the I rings. do it all the time. <laughs> but I did notice that Michael was landing a lot. And, yes. and I know Joe, and Joe even said on commentary. He's keeping his chin He up. said... Luke Rockhold's chin's really high, and his hands were down. Yep. Things I noticed this time. I know hindsight, all that. When it came I just down. Noticed, I just noticed Bisping was landing quite a bit. Like, Rockhold was pretty much just continuing to push forward, but wasn't really defending. Yeah, and so what you have to think about here when you talk about hands being down, that eventually was the downfall in this fight. So, yes, Bisping is an orthodox fighter, meaning his right hand's his dominant power hand. However, he finished his fight with a left hook. So, you know, Rockhold's fighting with his hands low, and significantly his right hand was really low because he didn't have the threat, or at least he thought he didn't have the threat of Michael's left hand, being that he was in an orthodox stance. That bit him in the ass real quick, because what was the time into this? Three minutes, 36 seconds. 3.36 into round one. Bisbing throws a little right jab to get uh, Luke's hands down and to the side. Luke begins to kind of... Back away, hands down, left hook right over top, boom, cracks him. Goes down, gets back up, boom, Michael cracks him again after like holding him still, yeah. making sure he was going to hit. Crazy. Another left hand drops Luke to the fence. Bisbeen goes in, boom, 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 and new. History made the first ever champion from the United Kingdom, from uh, Great Britain, Michael the Count Bisbeen. Paid in full, dare I say. So tell me, as someone who was watching more than I was at this time, how shocking was this? It was unbelievable, especially because of what Luke had looked like. And Bisping was always that guy, but like you said, the win one, lose one. He had finally made that big one over Silva, and he was finally streaking, and it was just really, like I said, how Dustin Poirier puts it, paid in full. This man had been there and done it all, 
paid his dues, took advantage of the opportunity fighting on 17 days notice when many people would not fight a guy like Luke Rockhold on 17 days notice. This guy was one of the best fighters in the world at this time. Bisbing takes it and literally after the fight says, that was the easiest fight of my life. Barely got touched in that fight. He did say that. Uh, Incredible story. (laughs) I I recommend to anyone out there with Fight Pass or you're on the fence of getting Fight Pass, they do a great series called The Year of the Fighter. Mm -hmm. And it's basically the year leading in or just the whole year and then they cap it off with a championship victory or something big happens in a fighter's life. Their most recent episode was on Michael Bisbing. It's about 38 minutes long. It's a solid watch. And it talks about this 2016 year that was for Michael Bisbing. Unbelievable. Chilling. Brought me to tears. Very good. I highly recommend that for anybody with Fight Pass. And I believe this is true. And I apologize for not being 100%. Um, I think it's a record that still stands. This was the most fights that it took for a UFC fighter to... Earn that first shot at the title. Yeah, that's kind of a weird way to word it. The most fights in the UFC prior to getting that first title shot. Yeah. 26. Man. And he's always, and you know, he was always a guy that hung around the top, right? It was like he was a gatekeeper. Mm-hmm, but he couldn't get C- there. Couldn't win the big one. And then... We talk about it a lot with the guys yeah, nowadays in the podcast there's tons the same of guys. way. I mean, there's certain... Even a guy like Dustin Poirier at times has yeah. maybe had that reputation. And, you know, we talk about the Magnies, the Kiesas, guys yeah. like that, is what Bisbing was looked at, really. Yeah. And being that he was already 37, I think, at this point, definitely a lot of people didn't think that he was going to be winning a belt. Mm-hmm. But he wins it pretty brutally and <laughs> swiftly. Yeah. And it's... I mean, it was just an amazing... And, you know, Luke Rockle was never the most popular <laughs> guy. Just, he was a very confident with cockiness stoic. for sure just figure yeah. he was like very stoic but and he, you know the good looking guy yeah. the muscles he was a, he's a model the modeling yeah. you know so he was not the most well liked guy so it was and Michael Bisping at one point was one of the most hated fighters in the yeah, UFC yeah tough gritty kid that just talked shit from Britain ran but the streets he definitely by this point had earned himself into the good graces mm-hmm. of the MMA fan base which you always love to see Something I hope a guy like James Vick can do someday. Yeah. But with that, he would tie at this point. Yes. It Since broken, but at the, the most wins in the UFC with 19. And he tied Mr. George St. Pierre on this night. Since been broken, Cowboy Cerrone holds the record. Yeah. So Bisbing went on to break it, and he yep. got it first. At twenty, and then, then be, Cowboys. Well, then run. GSP would tie it again. Yeah, by that's true. Bisping. That is true. Funny enough, then uh, Cowboy just yeah. said, hey, "No, I, th- I believe there's a couple other people who have since passed them too. They're hanging around. There's a lot of guys up there right I mean, now. Even guys like Jim Miller or Dustin. Yeah, Miller. Dustin just hit nineteen yeah, with so the Connor win. So there's a lot of guys. I mean, Charles Oliveira at some point will be making his way there. There's yeah. a lot of guys that'll probably pass that, but huge milestone yes. nonetheless. Hall of Famer for a reason. Yeah, you know. and, you know, credit to Luke Rockhold, but, you know, that dominant run to kind of get himself into this position, but never it, it, was, it was never quite the same after this. He would follow up with a win, a TKO over David Branch. Convincing win. It was a good performance. It was a headline to pay, uh, fight night, excuse me, September 2017, so over a year later. And that would kind of, that's kind of the story here is that he – he really just kind of became less active mm-hmm. because then he would headline UFC 221 against Yoel Romero 
It was supposed to be for the, or it was for the interim middleweight championship. For Luke. Because you almost yeah. wait. Yeah. So if Luke wins, he's the interim champion yeah. and then would fight Robert Whitaker, who was out with injury. But if Yoel wins, there is no interim champion. And Yoel would Win. brutally knock out Luke Rockhold in the third round. Very bad. And then kiss him afterwards. <laughs> it was February 2018. And he would make the move to light heavyweight. Um, made yeah, Luke's a big guy. Yes. So I was kind of looking I, forward I to I was it. too. Yeah. And he made comments leading up that he was the guy to beat John Jones. and. Yeah. His his uh, test, his first fight at light heavyweight was against Jan Blahovich at UFC 239. A card yeah. headlined by John Jones against Tiago Santos. Santos. Yeah. Co-main, Amanda Nunes, Holly Holm. A little fight Jorge Masvidal have been Askren. Okay, what happened in that one? Yeah, well, it only lasted five seconds, so not oh, much. Oh, that one, that one, gotcha. <laughs> and this was the fourth fight, so what a hell of a... That's a hell of a card. We were watching that, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we did. And uh, Jan would brutally knock him out. Broke his jaw. Yep. And that happened in the second round. Left hook. And that's the last we've seen of Luke Rockwell. That was July 2019. Now, he has not officially retired. No, he's He's even been training with DC and all that stuff. And DC has said that he thinks Luke will fight again. Still younger. Luke has still made comments that, like, he's... But it's going to be two two years in July, so... Give that j- head and jaw some rest. He's 36 you know? now, so... 36 now? Okay. Uh, Not a lot of time left. No, but... I now, mean, if he comes back in, he's going to get a big name. I think. I would imagine. Now, when I say big, I'm saying like a top 15 guy. Not yeah, necessarily I would, like... I would assume so. And if he comes back, Noah, 185 or 205, what do you want? Or maybe since he's older now, it's probably harder to cut the weight. Maybe yeah, do two hundred five. Two hundred five. Luke's a big dude. Yeah, he's a big guy. On the other end, Michael Bisping. After this fight, he would only go one and two the rest of his career. He would have that title fight with Dan Henderson at UFC two hundred four. A fight that was very he got close. Banged up. His eye. You want to talk about a <laughs> mouse or moose, whatever they're yeah. called, under his eye. Ugh. He uh, is he a moose? Moose, mouse. <laughs> he has a mouse. Mouse. <laughs> He's a moose. <laughs> I'm just, I don't know why I'm picturing hey, like. A moose? <laughs> a dead ass moose? Picture a moose uh, or a mouse yeah. on his face. You get what I'm uh, saying. So he would beat Dan, Dan Henderson on the judges' Very controversial. That was a uh, beat up trip, if I'm not mistaken. I wasn't with you guys. Oh, no, I was at, I was, I was back home, yeah, home back for that home. one. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And then he would have back-to-back losses. Um, one of the biggest pay-per-views of all time. One of the best pay-per-views of all time. Mm-hmm. He would headline with the returning George St. Pierre at UFC 217. A fight where George St. Pierre would win in the third round via a rear naked choke. In a great fight. Bisping had Bisping his moments. Bisping has moments, man. Oh, yeah. That was a hell of a fight. Oh, yeah. Bisping actually, I thought, I actually kind of thought, like, when I was watching it, like, halfway through the first or so, I was like, I think Bisping's going to win this. I said George good. didn't look comfortable, but then... Ugh, he must He's, have heard me. He, he hurt Biz uh, being bad and went in for the kill and wrapped in the choke. So that was November 4th, 2017. Now here's the one I wish wouldn't have happened. Yeah, so this one's a little strange. Very random. Three weeks later. In Shanghai, if I'm not mistaken. On my birthday, November 25th, 2017, in Shanghai, China, he would step in to fight Kelvin Gastelum in the main event. And he would be knocked out two and a half minutes in the Brutally, first round. it was bad. One shot. And, I mean, everybody was giving him a lot of credit for taking this fight because they were just like, man, what a warrior, what a badass. But then you see what happened. And everybody was rooting for him, but, man, after... It was a bad knockout, man. 
And it's just disappointing that that's kind of the way his career ends. Um, The GSP loss, you know, that's... He had spoke like he wanted to have one more fight, but unfortunately that that, uh, detached retina, they had... The doctors had warned him that it looked like his good eye was starting to have that same I mean, he has a glass eye now. Yeah, so that's kind of the thing we were talking about. I mean, that's the... He, like, can't fight. That's kind of the damage that would be permanent for him is he would end up getting a glass eye. Sort of claimed that he might have won the belt with a glass eye. Um, I I have a hard time believing that the medical staff at the UFC would have cleared him, but... Hey, man. Hey, if he did. Hell, hell, <laughs> hell of a story there. <laughs> so, yeah, that that is your main card for UFC 199. And I, and I think a great way to kind of tie this all together is we'll first talk about the bonuses and the post-fight press conference. Uh, you can't leave this episode without it. <laughs> because this holds – if you want to talk about a little extra special. <laughs> this is very special. Tyler, if you're listening, you're going to love this. Anyone yeah. out there that knows this presser, you're going to love this. This is big for us here. So, fire the night. Marco Polo Reyes, Dong Hyun Kim. Marco performance Polo. of the night bonuses. That's funny, that's his name. <laughs> performance of the night bonuses. Michael Bisping and Dan Henderson, funny enough, because mm. they would be fighting each other. Now, next. what happens when you want a bonus? You get, I believe the total is a, a sum of $50,000. Or some might say... 50 k mm. So, post-fight press conference happens, and this would be, uh, as I'm going to kind of tie this all together and say this is kind of the end of an era in some ways. Yeah, true. This was the last time you would see this kind of press conference for the UFC. They used to do these post-fight oh, press like conferences. These post-fight press conferences where you basically had all of the <laughs> winners like and it. losers on there together at the same time. Um, yeah, you know, but the, but this is the best. <laughs> this use gave of it. some great moments. <laughs> so <laughs> Michael is already like drinking. He's got the beer with him yeah. at the press. This man is on cloud nine. Oh yeah, and Luke Rockley just had so. the worst day of his life. Oh yeah. Polar opposites. And they go back and forth quite a bit. I mean, a lot, yeah. <laughs> and Michael Bisping is just on another level. Oh, he's letting Luke hear it. His, his trash talk is incredible. Luke's is uh, leaves something to be desired. But the, the, the line, right? The line. The one-liner. Is... <laughs> We gotta we gotta set it up though. Well, okay. I'm trying to remember some of the other comments. I mean, it was, you know, Luke just saying like you got lucky. Yeah, it was one shot thing. And he's blah, like, blah, blah, I blah. will come back and kill you and stuff. But and, and Luke being like, Mike's like, you just got knocked the fuck out. Luke. Mike's like, all right, calm down, there, buddy. You know, stuff like that. So then he gets. He's like, you know, there. I think someone asked him about the knockout. You know, like, yeah. Yeah, I forget what the question was, but he's like, "Well, I, they might have even mentioned a performance bonus because yeah, of the like, knockout or something." Well, he goes, "I believe that uh, knockout was performance of the night bonus, fifty k, baby, fifty g's, baby, oh, fifty g's, baby." Thanks, Luke. Thanks, Luke. <laughs> and Luke, legendary. And Luke looked very upset. Yeah, <laughs> and that was literally the end of an era. For yeah. post fight pressers, Thank because goodness. I think the UFC was like, "All right, we can't, we can't do this." this. <laughs> We're talking like. The only guy separating Bisbing from going to punch Rockhold again was Dana Waters. Yeah. It's like, okay. Let's we go not do this. Yeah. Um, Absolutely hilarious moment there. Yeah, so we just had to talk about that because that's one of our probably favorite in-jokes to reference when we do this stuff. <laughs> that's where you got the baby portion for yep. your outro <laughs> yeah, so from that line right, right there. So Mike Bisbing, shout out to you, my friend. Shout out to him. Um, to kind of tie it all together, end of an era, right, you know, the 
not only has the press conferences changed up after this to make them a little more boring, but probably better overall. They're better, yeah. <laughs> um, also, the UFC would be sold a month later, two yeah. days after UFC 200, July 11th, 2016. The UFC was sold for four billion dollars that's with a b to wme img entertainment group whatever yep, entertainment group um yeah i mean four billion dollars that's a lot of money uh so that would kind of mark the end of the fortitas time yeah what a legendary duo they were mm-hmm. you know they were they were really the 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 financial side of things that kept the ufc going january of 2001 to mm-hmm. july of 2016 yeah data would remain president to this day obviously but the Fertitas time had came and went and I mean I'm sure they are not saddened because four billion dollars is a lot of money <laughs> yeah um, but it also this would be near the end of uh, Mike Goldberg's uh, yeah end as a broadcaster for the UFC his final UFC broadcast would be about eight months later on December 30th, 2016 at UFC 207. That very well may could be another This is definitely, review. it could be, yeah. for sure. And I will say that this is one of the few times that I've ever been kind of mad at the UFC. It was very awkward, wasn't it? They didn't it give, just... they didn't think, there was no thank you video, there was no acknowledging it on the broadcast. They literally just signed off like normal, and then Goldberg was gone. So shout! It, it was nice hearing Mike Goldberg for 199's commentary. Yeah, I agreed. And yeah, that uh, and that's when John Anik would take over. Now yeah. you got three person commentary teams. Joe Rogan slowly but surely seems to be kind of slowly leaving. Uh, not, I don't want to say he's leaving, but it, he's become less and less prominent on these broadcasts. You know, now you got three pre- people. Now he's still only doing the U.S. broadcast yeah, domestic events. Um, but even with COVID, he that's became less of him because a lot of these events have been in Abu Dhabi, things mm-hmm. like that. But yeah, it was a, really the end of an era, and this would kind of lead us into the WME area, era. Yeah. And a lot of people were very skeptical about this sale because WME IMG for an entertainment yeah, group. Exactly. So sure, have there been times where things have happened, and you might turn your eye at it and go. Was that a WMB Brock thing? Brock in the cage with DC. <laughs> yep. Uh, Sorry, just one that came out on me. Uh, the hype video for UFC 207 that yeah. focused pr- all on Ronda Rousey. Poor Amanda. Amanda Nunes getting no shine. We're going to have to do 207 at one point, yeah. for sure. There's little things, you know, some of the, you know, Bisping, GSP, some of these fights that were booked that was like, okay, these super fights. Like There's been a lot more super fights, so yeah. I'll put it that way. I don't think there really, really has. I just think there's so more. It's only been a few years. The champ champ so thing. The champ champ champ's big. But that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like these money fights. Gotcha. You know? um, but yes, the champ champ thing has definitely been a little bit watered down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was a huge deal. It's nice deal. having like a It was break. a huge deal when Connor did it, even though he never defended either one. Yeah. But when he was crowned that, it felt like a huge deal. But since then, it's just... Now it's like, okay, awesome. Like, you you want to... It's like it's almost just the same as winning any other belt. It doesn't yeah. feel like you have two. Unless you're Amanda. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that, that's pretty much all I really have to say here. Did you want to touch on anything else? That's a deep dive, if I've ever done one. I agree. 
Fun event. Really is a great event. Again, yeah. all the all the UFC events are on UFC Fight Pass, people. <clears throat> Plus, fight, uh, year of the fighter, whatever I said it was called. <laughs> go watch the Michael Bisbee one. Really incredible. So mm-hmm. if you have Fight Pass, go watch UFC 199. Let us know what you think. And watch Michael Bisbee's year of the fighter. That's all i got to say. Highly recommend this main card. You want to give it a grade? Ooh. So Are we doing A Letter scale grade. Or? Okay. So let's just start by saying UFC one we didn't give a grade for, but that shouldn't count. Can you grade not. that one? I'd give it an A. I'll give it an A. Fuck it, it was the first event. Yeah. So now here, UFC one. Can we do plus, We can do plus and minuses. Give us some flexibility. I'm gonna give UFC one ninety nine a minus. I'm gonna go B plus. Ooh, okay. I'm gonna B plus. Okay. I was I was thinking B, but B plus feels. Um, some very great moments here. Obviously, iconic moments. Bisping winning the belt. Max um, pointing. The Max thing, yes. But, I mean, really, you got two very quick finishes here. The main event and the, the fight that opened the main card. You got that awesome fight with Henderson. There's really not a bad fight on here. No. Even the the two, the third and fourth fight. Don like, put on a master class. He put on an awesome performance. Max had a great performance against Still Ricardo Still a war, though. Still yeah. a good fight. I uh, can't really complain about anything that happened on this card. And the Brock announcement happened technically on yeah, the card. I mean, you I'm, don't see I'm, it on Fight Pass. But I, I more don't take that into my grade, really. Okay. More so just the, the fights. Fight. Yeah, but I think a very solid pay-per-view, and I think one that over-exceeded over compared to what it looked like it would do on paper. Well said. Agreed. But, yeah, it's, uh, so until, I guess, man, I've been talking what so long. What do we long. got? What's next? Friday. Friday. So Friday. UFC 258 preview. Oh, baby. It's going to be somewhat of a deep dive on a couple of these We're fights, We're going to do too. our research. Yeah, yeah, because we got a couple uh, fights on here that are being added late, and uh, they they do not feature names that are very well-known to us, so we will be doing our doing our homework there. But it's headlined by Kamaru Usman and Gilbert Burns. A very intriguing fight. You, oh, you ain't kidding. Um, this is starting, by the way, six UFC title fights in the next 42 days come Saturday. UFC and, record. Yep, UFC record. And then Monday we will be obviously recapping all of those fights we preview on Friday. Um, and may I add, mm-hmm. big news segment coming Friday as well. <sighs> big yeah, serious. news segment. Yeah, so, so tune in Friday. It's going to be a huge episode. I think yeah. that's going to be a long one. Yeah. Um, but until then, Dominic Slee. Tell the good people where they can find you on social media. On Twitter, on Instagram, at Diesel 14 Find the podcast on Twitter, on Instagram, at B-A-J underscore M-M-A podcast. And as for me, if you go to my bio on Twitter or Instagram, at NTBaker underscore, you'll be taken to our link tree, which gives you the links to all the platforms that the podcast is on along with our social media platforms. That includes the Twitter, the Instagram, the YouTube channel, along with Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. It's all on there, baby. And there's a couple links for the Anchor page. First, leaving a voice message, something that we really want to hit hard in 2021. If you have a thought of an upcoming fight, a news story, a video idea, if you just want to say hi or tell us we're a piece of shit, you got 60 seconds to do it on that link. Also, there's a link if you want to become a supporter of the podcast. That just provides with a few dollars a month, and all that money goes back into improving the quality of the podcast. Whether it be the audio equipment, or down the line doing a video podcast. So again, you can find all that if you go to my bio on Twitter or Instagram at 
NT Baker underscore with that. We're out. We'll see y'all on.